You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Every week, Travis Cura. That's Greg Company, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Welcome to the East Division Preview for the 2023 CFL season. I'm Travis Cura with Brazilian Tide. The East Division, we've got some great guests here. Josh Smith, Podsky Wee to talk Hamilton Tiger Cats. We've got Janine Richaud of Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast to talk Ottawa, of course. Cliffy D. Pine of the Alouette's Flight Deck to preview Montreal. And we also have Will Gertler of the Argos Fan Cast to talk about the reigning Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's so hard not to go into the full Paul Heyman thing. I don't know how you didn't. (laughs) When we bring that up. So we got a busy one here. I I do want to ask you, you shared a graphic with our group chat recently. Oh, no. You've heard the debate, hot dogs, sandwich or not, but... The graphic explains, like, sort if the bun's not cut it's, all the way through, it's a, a taco. A taco. You put pork and taco. You have pulled pork tacos, like, what are they called? Uh, like carne asada or whatever. But does a taco need ground or shredded meat? You can have veggie tacos. I'm sure they've got some pulled jackfruit in there or something. <laughs> well, the shrimp is not pulled or shredded. You can have shrimp tacos. A hot dog might just be. Yeah, taco. <laughs> but then so is a sub. Well, I was going to say, if it's cut all the way through. Then it's a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> so Subway subs are. It's a, are tacos. So I'm like having a meatball taco. Yeah. That's ground beef. That's what you wanted. That was your rule. <laughs> you don't make the rules. No, I just I just follow them. <laughs> Barely. Hot dogs are tacos. And like the, the we're not even you can mention us on Twitter and bitch and moan. We are not responding to any of them about the subject. <laughs> it is over. The point is moo. <laughs> Like a cow's opinion, it's just moo. I love this moo. <laughs> Let's get going with our East Division preview. And joining the show now from the Alouette's Flight Deck Podcast is Cliffy D. Pine. How you doing, Cliffy? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Now, I remember having you on in 2022 to get ready for the Alouettes season, and it was cautious optimism, or actually even above cautious. It was some pretty good optimism going into the year, but a lot has happened since 2022. A coaching change, a quarterback change, a ownership change. I don't even know where to start. Let's maybe start with the ownership 
Did you find that that maybe set them a little bit back when it came to off-season happenings, like free agency and things like that? Oh, it was a massive. I, I mean, to, to first of all, let's not forget, the Alouettes had lost their president, Mario Ciccini, because they did not want to renew his contract, which kind of hampered how Danny Machocha, the general manager, was going to be going after his free agents because there was a lot of guys that were expected to come back to the Alouettes, guys like Trevor Harris, Eugene Lewis, Jake Winicky, and so on. But because of all this instability and there was no answers being given to, that was the worst part was there was no sense of what's going on. Like there was like no one at the top to sort of make a decision. And Machocha was sitting there on his hands, unable to do anything because he didn't have the okay. Cause normally the president signs off on any free agency moves you make and couldn't do anything. So wow. when that, when that uh, free agent tampering period happened, a lot of the players, those of the players that I mentioned, decided, you know what, if you guys can't sort yourselves out, then I'm out of here. And that's pretty much what had happened was they went and negotiated deals to go elsewhere. So it was only the day before free agency started that the league had to step in and take the team back, reinstall Mario Ciccini as the president, if only to be able to get free agency going and get you know some sort of traction going. But by that, by that point, though, it was too late to keep the guys that they really wanted. And then they had to start looking you know, for a plan B. Wow. So if that didn't happen, like there's still talent with the Alouettes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, if that didn't happen, like, do you see them? They would have been even further set back. It, it's hard to say, really. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it was such a weird situation. It, and yeah. I mean, you're you're back to now the, the league owning the team. So are they going to allow you to make the moves to keep players? Are they going to let you spend that money? Uh, even though there's a, a salary cap and you're allocated a certain amount of money for players, are you going to be allowed to sign those players to the deals that you want? Or are you going to have to nickel and dime it? And that was the thing. There was just no clear answer to that until, unfortunately, well after the fact. By the time that the league had said, yes, you can do what you need to do to sign the players that you want – those players had pretty much committed to going elsewhere. So yeah. now you're now you're left scrambling it almost. You're you're now you've got to figure out, okay, now what? Now what do we do? Because Trevor Harris has gone to Saskatchewan. Eugene Lewis is going to Edmonton. Jake Winicky is going to Saskatchewan. Uh Arius Pickett's going to Toronto. Like, okay, well, I mean, yes, we do have we still have some talent, but now we've got some big holes to fill. And how do we do that? So that really became the issue. And okay, now now you've got the money. Now you can do it. You can you can sign who you want, but it's like, okay. Who's out there now? Who who would be a good fit for us? And that's where Danny Matocha really had to put his uh, thinking cap on and really get to work with it. And I'll, I'll give him credit. I, I, I've always said he's, the past couple of years, he's drafted extremely well. When it comes to free agency, though, it's kind of been hit or miss, but I, I think he's learned what to do and what not to do. And I, I'd say overall, he weathered the storm as best as he could and made moves that I think will end up paying off for the Alouettes in 2023. Trevor Harris, uh, like you said, off to Saskatchewan, and now Jason Moss comes in as the head coach. Cody Fajardo from Saskatchewan signs in Montreal. Now, Jason Moss and Danny Machocha have history dating back to their Edmonton days, mm-hmm. and Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo have history in Saskatchewan. Now, th- there was talk out of Saskatchewan last year that the quarterback of the OC didn't see eye to eye. Well, the fact that Montreal brings in Cody Fajardo tells me something completely different. Um, and we know how things in Saskatchewan can just go out of control. Uh, you, you mean people overreact in Saskatchewan? 
yeah, get out of here. News to me. <laughs> How does it seem like uh, that? And I know Anthony Calvillo is there. He's calling plays, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So how's the situation or the relationship between the QB, HC, and OC seem right now? Right now, from what I've seen in training camp, it's it's coming along nicely. I have to say, like, Cody is looking pretty solid. Uh, I think the play calling is uh, more suited to him. I, I think that's. I don't think there was ever. I truly don't think there was really a problem that, or per se necessarily with Cody and Jason Moss as like like that coach quarterback relationship. They they seem to be on the same page in that sense. And even I remember even seeing like Cody run a, a very solid two minute drill in one of the practice sessions. And I talked to him about it afterwards, and he said, "Yeah." Jason's letting me call my own plays. I'm like, that's great. So, okay, clearly any sort of discord or any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of malfeasance when it came to the situation in Saskatchewan last year, I guess either it wasn't there or they realized, okay, maybe there was a problem. Let's move past it and it's a clean slate now. So let's work together instead of against each other. Now, I think one of the strengths of the team last year, uh, it was the running game for the Alouettes. And now we've got, hopefully, a full season of William Standback. And we had some big games last year. Fletcher had some big moments as oh, yeah. well. Standback and Fletcher seems like it would be a great little combination the Owls have in the backfield. Oh, 100%. And a fully healthy and very motivated William Standback oh, coming nice. back. I'm I'm telling you, like he's and this is a contract year for him too. So you better believe he's going to be playing his butt off. He's going to go out there and prove that he belongs. And Walter Fletcher is no slouch either. Like this guy stepped in in a huge way last year for the Alouettes. And let's not forget Jeshwin Antwi, not a terrible running back. I mean, he's he's uh-huh. a very solid, very like he's built. He he's cut from that same cloth as what Stanback and Fletcher are as far as. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder and get those yards. And then when he turns on the Jets, he's gone. And to have not one, not two, but three outstanding. I'll go so far as the elite running backs in that backfield. I mean, Cody Fajardo's got to be thrilled. Like, at least if he can't find his receivers or if something's not working, he doesn't like the way the defense is being shown, he can turn to the side and it's like, okay, you take the ball to any one of those guys and you know good things are going to happen. Now, what do we have to look forward to as far as the receiving game goes? Uh, some big losses, obviously, in the offseason. Uh, Tyson Philpott, uh, the, the rookie from last year, was able to make some plays. Kayon Julian Grant did as well. Chandler Worthy returning. Herji Mayala returning. Uh, maybe uh, not as big of a season from last year as we've seen from him in the past in Calgary, but who's going to be able to get into that starting lineup and uh, start moving the ball through the air for the Alouettes? Well, that's the beautiful thing is you've got like three talented national receivers. Yeah. Throughout 2022, all three of them made outstanding plays happen. So like you've got like a mini Canadian air force, if you will, in Montreal and who's going to join them. That's the thing. The Alouettes assigned Greg Ellingson in free agency. And uh, again, a very solid receiver, uh, I, I know the injury concerns are a little bit uh, prevalent when it comes to him, but uh, if if he shows up ready to go, and I'm excited to see him actually get some honest-to-goodness action in. Uh, Austin Mack, who's been, uh, I, I'd say, a superstar throughout the training camp and even in the preseason game this past Friday against Ottawa, played outstanding football. Like This awesome. is a guy that has NFL experience, uh, 
you know, just looked extremely solid. Doesn't look like the the moment's too big for him either. Like he looks like someone that can get in there and really be a good contributor this year. So it's it's been interesting because the Alouettes had brought in so many receivers, uh, sort of to I I, I I I'm reluctant to say replace Geno Lewis because you cannot replace a Eugene Lewis so easily, yeah. but someone's going to have to take that role. Someone's going to have to step up and be that guy because at one point. Eugene Lewis was that nobody on the practice roster, and then he got his chance and made the most of it. Now, who this year is going to do that for Montreal? It could be Austin Mack. It could be Keshin Abram. There's a couple other guys that have come in and made some noise as well. So, I mean, it's not going to be easy trying to steal the job from Tyson Philpott or Herji Maiala or Keon Julian Grant, but if you're able to work in with those guys and, and compliment them, I'm telling you, like, there's there's a lot to like when it comes to this receiving gore. In the Alouettes on the offensive line, they do have some veteran names there that have some CFL experience. Uh, Jesse Gibbon is a young talent that uh, fans think highly of. There's Justin Lawrence, uh, Pierre Olivier Lestage. There's some young, they're all under 30, all on the offensive line. So that seems like they've got some talent there. But I do want to ask you about the defense. It does seem like uh, there's a lot of changes there. Are there some. Uh, players that fans are going to get to know really quickly on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, I, if you don't know the names, Tyrell Richards, who was last year's first overall draft pick, man, he he's coming to camp with a purpose. Like he had, the, he was bitten by the injury bug last year. Mm. Didn't get a chance to really shine like he would have liked to, but I mean, he came to camp this year with a great attitude, even bulked up a little bit, like, but didn't lose any speed. That's the thing. Like, this guy could be a defensive back. Like, that's how fast he is. But he's lining up in the middle with guys like Tyrese Beverett and uh, uh, Wesley Sutton. Like, th- these are guys that I think are going to make major impacts this year. Like, I- I've been saying this throughout training camp is that don't sleep on this linebacking core. I mean, the defensive line is outstanding and has always been something that the Danny Matocha has wanted to improve upon and just make sure that they are dominant year in and year out. Uh Defensive backs are always going to be, uh, you know, you're always looking for those ball hawks. And there's a couple of guys out there that I think would really make some noise. But I'm telling you right now, this linebacking core has all the potential in the world to really, really do some damage this year for Montreal. And I'm here for it. I, I think that from everything I've seen so far, like these are guys that are going to come in, kick ass and take names. And if you're an Alouette fan, you've got to be excited about that. Hey, hey, there's some names in the secondary, too. Marc-Antoine Decroix, Seante Evans, Nafis Lyon, Najee Murray. There's some guys there that have made some plays in the CFL. So some names to look forward to seeing in uh, on the back end of the defense for the Montreal Alouettes. I do need to ask you about uh, the off-the-field stuff. It, it did seem like maybe they had a solid situation with Sid Spiegel and uh, Gary Stern, but there was the tragedy uh, with Gary Stern losing his father-in-law. And then (laughs) he was kind of a colorful personality that uh, fans seemed to love or hate. But now uh, Pierre Carl Pelado buys the team is, is now there a solid foundation for the Alouettes that we don't need to worry about for quite some time, hopefully? Well, I kind of made the joke. I, I, I wonder if the league, when they entered into negotiations and decided, okay, PKP is going to be the man that's going to buy and run the Alouettes. Do you do a medical test on him just to make sure that his ticker is okay? <laughs> make sure no other underlying medical conditions. Cause we, we don't want to go through this again in two, exactly. three years. God yeah. forbid something happens, but no, I think, uh, 
honestly, they, they made a great choice in Pierre-Carl Pelodeau, uh, again, a local person, someone born yeah. and raised in Montrealer, someone who is passionate about this. He, he has said, this is, this is my only focus right now. Like he's, he's, mm. He's built a media empire, which is like nothing else in Quebec. And he wants to go national with it. And he's even starting to slowly make that case because he's got TV rights for, he's got TV networks throughout Quebec and he wants to go national. He wants to be able to have all of Canada. So come 2026, when the CFL rights become up for grabs, you better believe PKP wants in on that. So if he, if he can show that he, if he can show that he can make the Alouettes not only profitable, and viable in the city, not just in, in Montreal, but throughout Quebec and even throughout Canada. If he can show that he can run this team and make them successful, that's just going to bode well for him when it comes time to negotiate for those TV rights. Because, I mean, not just the French rights too. I I, I want to believe he's going to find a way to be that competition that uh, TSN and uh, and Bell Media are sorely lacking. And I think that's, to me, that's going to be key is how well he runs the Alouettes is going to be determining factor whether or not come 2026, if his company is going to have the chance to bid on the TV rights, not just French language, but English as well. And again, I, I think competition is going to be a great thing. It's going to hopefully make TSN step up their game and not be complacent as well. So it's going to be a very interesting couple of years. And so far, I will say from what I've seen out of Pierre-Carl Pelodeau, it's been it's been good. Uh, so far, everything I've seen has been good. And I'm really curious to see how it goes throughout the season and and beyond. The Alouettes were seven and seven in 2021. They were nine and nine in 2022. What do they need to do in the early goings to get over that 500 hump uh, in in this season? Uh, they can schedule some games against <laughs> more more games against the Red Blacks and the Argos. Uh, <laughs> Because right now those are the question marks in the East. Uh, if they can somehow not yeah. play the play the Tiger Cats and believe Levi Mitchell, I, you, you know what? No, I I honestly think with with this team the way it's built, they're going to be competitive. I, I mean, and you know what? Nine and nine may not be so bad considering. Not not it's not a criticism against the East in general, but just the fact that it is still very competitive. This is it still was a home like, game you know, last year, so that's it. An Eastern team won the Grey Cup too. It wasn't yeah. I don't, and yeah. sure as hell wasn't a fluke. So. I mean, I think this Alouette's team is built to compete. I, I think, truly, this is a team that is going to make a lot of noise. I, I know a lot of people have already slept on the Alouettes. They're already starting to think the worst, especially, too, with all the off-season shenanigans and whatnot. And then people don't believe in Cody Fajardo. And I can understand why because of how things ended for him in Saskatchewan. Yeah. But just being around this team and, and talking with him and just getting the sense that this is a, a room that's united. This is a, a team that really believes in itself. And as far as they're concerned, they're thrilled that everybody's sleeping on them. They say, let them, because they're going to be in for a surprise this year. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to sound biased or anything, but I mean, I think this is a team that really can surprise a lot of people and be a lot more competitive than what they're being given credit for. Now they open up the season against Ottawa, so you kind of get your wish there <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat in the home opener. And I will be in Montreal in August with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but I've got tickets to Metallica that night. So, <laughs> please, pull some strings, my man. Get that game on the Saturday or something. <laughs> I gotta, I'll have to go Paul the Filer alarm or something. You know, just call him a bomb threat. I, kidding, kidding. But... <laughs> I can't believe like, the chances that uh, they'll be at home the same day as a big 
you know, 70,000 people at the big O for that concert. Uh, right. To- so, I mean, like to me, I, if I, if I'm the Alouettes, I'm, I'm begging, trying to find a way to reschedule that game because yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I mean, if you've got Metallica tickets, you're not giving those up to go watch yeah. the Alouettes. I don't care how good they are. I don't care if it is Saskatchewan coming into town. I'm sorry, but if you if you got a chance to go see Metallica, you go see Metallica. <laughs> Two of my favorite things in the world. And hey, if I'm not wrong, isn't Our Lady Peace one of your favorite bands? And they're going to be at the Alouette's home opener? Let me tell you, when, when they announced that last week, I, I was beside myself with joy. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, because here's the thing. They had said they had announced uh, earlier when they did the press release about the theme games that they're having. They had talked about how the the home opener they're bringing a big act in. Like, and I've heard this before. I've heard this team say they're bringing a big act, and it's some no name Quebecois band that you know gets play on the radio in Montreal. But that's about it. Like, I mean, you ask anybody throughout Canada, they would have no, they couldn't t- tell these guys from a hole in the wall. So as soon as they said, "Okay, we're bringing a really big act," I'm like, "Okay, you know, let, let's let's see what it is. Let's let's see yeah. what it is." Sure enough, when I got the press release and it said Arlie Pace, like, I, I <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy cow! Like that, that's a big act. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I mean, that's, that's cool. It, it's incredible. And yes, I again, a huge Arlie Pace fan. So I always even think about like, when am I going to be able to see them again? Like, I know they're doing a bit of touring in the summer. I'm like, okay, and I think they're playing a, a, in Quebec uh, in August, uh, just outside of uh, Quebec oh. City. I'm like, I was thinking about maybe, well, do I want to go check out that show? And then sure enough. Next time I see Our Lady Peace Live will be at Percival Molson Stadium. That was not on the bingo card <laughs> in 2023. Let me tell you, between that and new ownership for Yellowettes and new everything, like all the things that have been coming into place, like you could give me million to one odds for this. And I'd be like, nah, no, nah, that's just, that's unrealistic. Unbelievable. Not, not a chance in hell, but my God, this, this has been already an off season to remember and a preseason to remember. And it just makes me think, okay, like when this gets underway and this becomes really real, officially official, what's next? And yeah. my God, like like if you weren't excited about this before as an LOS fan, you better be excited now because this is this is beyond anybody's expectations, not just with R Peace, but just with everything else that's going on with the LOS. It's just wow, this is like nothing else you've you have ever come to imagine. Like you didn't see this in the Wetton Hall era, you didn't see this with the yeah. Gary Stern era. I mean, PKP is pretty much pushing all his chips to the middle of the table and say, let's go, we're in, let's do this. And I tell you what, if you're an Alouette's fan, you better be on board with this because this is this is proof positive that they are ready to go. They are ready to do this and they're ready to make it happen. So I am I am truly, truly excited for this season to get underway. Cliffy D from the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast with co-host Tim Capper. Now, uh, a couple months ago, you had Kevin Glenn on the show. It was a great off-season listen. I don't know if he was serious about a book coming out, but I do want to read that book that uh, hopefully does get released. Uh, you're releasing weekly all season long? Yes, sir. We're, we're, we're live every, or not live, but uh, we are releasing every week, and we are even now getting into the live stream. Nice. Of, we... we just decided okay we're we wanted to do this for training camp was just kind of we do a little live stream and just uh, sharing our thoughts about what we saw in training camp thus far and then after the game uh, last friday we decided to jump on right away just to give like instant reaction to it so you know we're still learning how to do this but we figure okay that's where things are going right now is we want to we want to get the content out there because content is king as you know we want to get we want to get the word out we want to get people thinking like okay when you start thinking about the alouettes and 
you want to get the reaction, you want to come to the flight deck. You want to come and see what the what uh, Tim and Cliff have to say. That to me is our goal to make sure that everybody knows to tune into us after every game, uh, tune in every week. Uh, like I said, we we tend to drop our new episodes every Thursday just before the game. So we're excited to get things going. We we want to ramp things up even more. And as I said, like the fact that we were able to talk to Kevin Glenn this year to yeah. me, like for most people, that would be a huge accomplishment. But like. No, no, that was big. And I'm I'm thrilled that I was able to do it, but I want more. I want to see how far we can go with this. I want to take this to the next level and the next level and so on. And I want to see where we can go with this. So I'm beyond excited to be able to do this, beyond excited to be able to present with Tim a new episode every week, right all the way up to the end of the year. And man, it's just, it's, never mind, is it June yet? Is it? Well, I guess it would be June by the time we start seeing another game. So now I, <laughs> you've got me jacked for the season. Alouettesflightdeck.ca for more from Cliffy and Tim. Cliffy, thanks for coming on the show to talk Alouettes. Awesome. Thank you so much. And joining the show to talk about the 2023 edition of the Ottawa Red Blacks is Janine with Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast. That might be my favorite podcast name to say. So thank you for You're coming welcome. on the show again. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Are you ready for the season? Uh, I know when we got preseason football on May long weekend, I don't know. I'm not quite in the mindset, but I forced myself into it. Well, you did better than me. I, uh, I'm i still not quite there. And, you know, I don't want to sound like one of those people that hates change and, like, get off my lawn. But I kind of liked it when we started everything, like, Canada Day long weekend. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it was just, it felt like it was time. It was Canadian football. So I'm having a, 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 a harder, harder time every season with the calendar yeah. moves up getting into it. But Come for the first game, the home opener for the Ottawa Red Blacks on June 15th. I'll definitely be ready. I have to say, and I'm looking at the past few seasons for the Ottawa Red Blacks, they won 11 games in 2018. Yeah. Since then, they have won. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> seven games. No, yeah. 10, 10. Okay, okay, well. So almost as much as they won <laughs> in the single season in 2018. I, I wonder if that, that struggles kind of hurts the excitement that our nation used to have and the enthusiasm for the CFL every year. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially I think we've talked about it a lot before, especially the times being what they are now. You know, everything is more and more expensive. Uh, you got choices to make about how you spend your money. It's really hard to convince people to get excited about a team that's won 10 games since 2019. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then even harder to get them to, you know, spend their money on coming to those games. So there's no doubt that it's had an impact. Um, and to be honest, like there, there just doesn't seem to be a whole bunch up until, you know, a couple days ago, there hasn't been a whole bunch of talk about the Red Blacks in the media throughout training camp either. It's just kind of been, I think, it's your first point. It's early and people yeah. aren't used to having to talk about football this early yet. Um, but we'll get rolling and, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how things go. There's the first QB club on next Wednesday, I think next Tuesday or Wednesday. So that's, that's always a good time. They have players like Jalen Acklin and Lorenzo Malden and Devonte Dedman who come out and meet fans and, uh, 
do radio interviews. And those are the kinds of things that we'll start see picking up and hopefully drive a bit more excitement in the city. Speaking of excitement, I know the wins haven't been there, but the coaching change coming into now with Bob Dice, a full year, like mm-hmm. full training camp, full everything. Does that kind of help or is that kind of a wait and see mentality in the fan, fan base? For me, it's probably one of the most exciting uh Probably one of the most exciting aspects of the offseason was the changes to the coaching staff. Because mm-hmm. uh, the talent has been there, but the the coaching staff wasn't able to do anything with it. So I think I think there's going to be a bit of wait-and-see mentality, of course, just because there's been a few <laughs> rough seasons. But by the same token, people like me who know, you know what Bob Dice is capable, what Baron Miles is capable of, what Kahari Jones is capable of, are really excited. I'll tell you one thing that's got uh, diehard Red Blacks fans excited too is Travis Moore coming back as mm. both receivers coach and as um, passing game coordinator, which is really like expanding his previous duties when he was here. And that man did amazing things with Red Blacks receivers. So to me, him and Kahari Jones as a combination on the offensive staff is really exciting for me. And I'm, I'm pretty keen to see what they're able to do. The last year, uh, obviously a big part of the struggles was losing the starting quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli, in the incident that's been talked about ad nauseum in Saskatchewan since then. But clearly that injury has taken a toll and the recovery hasn't been easy. And I guess there's been, there was an infection that set things back for him. And right now it doesn't appear that he's going to be ready for week one. Bob Dice says they're just going to take it as it comes with Jeremiah Masoli. That being said, acquiring Nick Arbuckle last year means that they have acquired a capable CFL quarterback who has had success in the league, but not having your number one ready for week one, that's a tough way to start a season. Yeah, it's a tough way to start a season because everybody, I think, has been really waiting for Mazzoli to be able to get back out there. It was, it's not just the injury and the toll that the injury took on the team, but it was such a big blow to him personally. And, yeah. and he's, good, he's a good guy. He's a community guy. He's out here a lot in the community. People want to see him back and able to play for sure. Uh, but he's the friend franchise player like the entire offense was not built around Nick Arbuckle it was built around bringing in Jeremiah Mazzoli starting last year and then bringing in other key pieces so it's hard to hear as a fan um, that he's not going to be able to start on week one uh, look I I can't you could go back and listen to Mushwar podcast and you would know that I've not always been Nick Arbuckle's biggest fan uh, but he has <laughs> I, I don't started- know a lot of them <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But he's starting to—he's starting to progress towards the end of last season. He was starting to to move forward in the right direction after they swapped him out for Caleb Evans for a few games and then swapped him back in. So I do think the rough ride that he had last season is probably growth for him, um, and I do think that he's being groomed to be a heck of a solid backup quarterback which is a better role for him than a starter and if he can embrace that mentally I think we're good to go I think we're going to be good to go until Mazzoli can come back and I think personally for him he's probably had a rough go in his career Mm -hmm. Uh, the the Calgary to Edmonton to 
being told you're not going to start in Edmonton to starting and then going to like it's just been a, a rough ride for him. But if he, I think if he knows his role and he's able to have some consistency, I mean, Kahari Jones helping you, that is a yeah. probably a positive for him. Uh, the bright spot in the Red Blacks last year, of course, Devontae Dedman making his return, uh, but Jalen Acklin having nearly 1,200 yards on the year. And it does seem they've been able to add a, a few pieces that are going to complement Jalen Acklin. Uh, Shaq Evans comes over from Saskatchewan after uh, maybe a down year for mm-hmm. people in Saskatchewan, but. I get the sense that they want to get Deadman involved more in the offense too. Uh, no doubt, no 40, doubt. That's that's a positive, I would think, uh, yeah. to get him in there. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, I think they learned their lesson when all of us, and I don't, I don't just mean Red Blacks fans. Like across the league, we're screaming, "What are you doing? Not putting him back into your offense? He's not just a special teams player. He's really special. He's far too special." to just be a special yeah. <laughs> player. Um, so I do think that he's going to be a key centerpiece of the offense this year. Um, and I know Shaq Evans had a had a rough season last year, but it was a rough season offensively for a lot of the a lot of the riders. Yeah. And and I think that's the Travis that's the Travis Moore connection to Shaq, right? Like I know he thinks really highly of Shaq Evans and bringing him over I just have a feeling that they're in a different environment and he's broken his, he's gone and broken his finger. So he's going to be out for Ah, a few weeks. I don't know if you guys heard that, but he's going to be out for the first few weeks of the season. But once he gets back, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. The running game. Mm -hmm. Does it, does it appear like they're going to be Canadian at that position? Ante Leach Ray is now a red black. They've got Jackson Bennett and also the rookie, Amlakar Polk, I hope I pronounced it uh, correctly. Uh, it kind of seems, and I know Devonte Williams got into there, but the running game hasn't been uh, a strength for the Red Blacks lately, and I, I'm sure that that's probably something they're focusing on going into the year. Yeah, for sure. And um, the the preseason game, Devonte Williams had kind of the start, and. I would say it wasn't. I mean, it's a preseason game. Yeah. And it's the first time out on the field, so I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into that. Uh, but he wasn't the strongest running back out there. Jackson Bennett and Anton uh, Milanovic Litre were the were also saw a lot of time. So I do think we're going to see. You know, gone are the days of having just one guy take on the whole game. So I do think you're going to see Canadians rotating in for sure. And if Jackson or or uh, Ante Ante can make a name for themselves, you know, like. There's no reason why they can't why they can't be the starting quarterback. There's or quarterback, sorry, running back um, for the Red Blacks. They have the potential for sure. We've seen, particularly what Milanovic Litre can do because he's had a bit more time in the league and a bit more time at the position. He's so a fun I think guy to watch. He's <laughs> a super fun guy to watch. Like he's a t- he's a tank, and that's yeah. what we've not had since the first iteration of uh, William Powell. When William Powell yeah. was here the first time, he was a absolute beast and he was a tank and you couldn't bring him down that wasn't what we were seeing out of him last season uh, when he came back and so they've been playing a bit of musical chairs but I'm hoping with this little combination they'll they'll sort that out and we'll see some fun play this year so with Masoli going down you know you mentioned the offense on the defense you still have guys like Javon Santos Knox you have Carriel Brooks Sherrod Baltimore Hunter, Money Hunter in the in the secondary Abdul Kinney 
because they're the most outstanding defensive player. Lorenzo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Is there, is there something that this defense is missing or like, is there something they need Mm -hmm. to do this year other than just playing better? Like obviously last year you can kind of just, it's one of those, it's like a really bad game where you just throw the tape out, but it was the whole season. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying like, not it, to remember it, Ty. I'm trying yeah, not to remember I, I have my ways. <laughs> well, look behind me. I have mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, like you said, like the coach, coaching and everything, does that, I would assume the defense is going to change, but do you, do you see somebody stepping in and maybe taking that next step other than the players that are kind of like your solidified starters and veterans? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Cause, and it'll be interesting because um, – the, the defense, the Mike Benavidez defense was very much a bend, don't break kind of a defense. Um, they gave up a lot of yards. They gave mm. up a lot of yards, but they, you know. And a lot of time of possession. A lot of time of possession. But they gave up field goals instead of touchdowns a lot of mm. time. That wasn't working. For two seasons, that wasn't working. So out goes Benavidez and in comes Baron Miles. And I, I do think we're going to see more aggression uh, from the defense, maybe more pass rushing like a bit more maybe playing a little bit angry is what I'm, I'm expecting. I don't know if I could pinpoint one guy who's going to sort of come up through the ranks and stand out, but I do think that Lorenzo Malden is going to have another outstanding season. Um, I just, he was so incredible last year and he just, he found his place on the field, but also from all accounts in the locker room as a real leader on that defense um, I just saw him a few weeks ago when the Ottawa Redblacks did their uh, did their women's training camp. Him and Money Hunter were uh, were there. Money Hunter tore a pack, by the way, so he's now out for a few weeks. <laughs> I, I was going to say did, he didn't do it at that camp, did he? Because that, he did it that, at the camp. They did like a little. Really? They did like a little um, a little intra squad uh, scrimmage. Oh and, no! Yeah, he tore his pack. So. Anyway, but my point is, I, I was chatting with those two last week, and they are hungry. Like, they are super hungry, and they are ready to go. Um, and they'll both play really big leadership roles. So for some of the guys we haven't heard too much about yet who have come into the team, I think they're well set up with, you know, a, a new coach who's got who's got a plan, but also real veterans, both the backs and the um, – both the backs and the and uh, oh my god, why am I blanking so much? Because <laughs> it's we're recording this in May. Yes, that's why I can't I can't talk. <laughs> I just can't talk. The defensive line and the defensive backs is what I'm trying yeah, to get yeah, out. Yeah. We've just got a really good bunch of talent around there, so I'm excited to see what they can do with a different philosophy of defense. I guess I, I just want to ask you about the general feeling about football in Ottawa. And we, we kind of touched on it earlier, but you're right. Like the most of the news I see coming out of Ottawa is who's going to buy the Senator. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. Maybe that is dominating the talk in the, 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 the city right now. Uh, but are, are the red blacks finding their way in to get people excited for the season? yet not yet and i think you're right travis like it has been dominating you got ryan reynolds no no longer but you got snoop dog how do you beat that how do you beat that kind of excitement and i will say uh it's good for the city of ottawa to have this much interest 
in yeah. its hockey team for sure. Like it's it's been kind of fun, kind of fun to watch people's reactions and um and I I love it. I love it. I'm not a big Hawks Senators fan, but I but I totally love it. But it has totally dominated the sports news cycle. So I do think the excitement won't happen until the season really starts. I mean, they still got fifteen thousand people out for an exhibition game. That's, that's pretty darn good. good. That's Im- yeah. yeah, it's not that's bad at all. That's pretty darn good. So it's not Lansdowne is still a great place to just go out for a yeah. night and watch a football game, grab a pint, be with your friends, and it will always have that. Um, you know, you get a few more wins under our belt, and and I really do think they can turn this around. Well, and I guess. They were kind of in the the boat as uh, Edmonton with the the long home losing streak, and they got the win against Edmonton, right, <laughs> to, yep. to end the streak mm-hmm. last year. But uh, you'd think with sort of that uh, uh, exciting uh, team winning at home that, that will make people more excited. And you, you'd think with the, an enthusiastic fan base, they'd be able to win more at TD place. That has to be a, a big focus going into this year. Let, let's just play better at home yeah, <laughs> in front yeah, of our for fans. Sure. And I think that comes back to the coaching, like whatever, I have an enormous amount of respect for what Paul Apolise has achieved as an offensive coordinator. And I was super excited, like many people, when he became the head coach. But for for whatever reason, he had all the tools given to him and couldn't make it work. And Bob Dice, yeah, he came in, whatever it was, midway through the season. But still, you got to deal with all the baggage that comes with taking on a job midway through the season. It's not the same. This is a fresh start. It's a f- entirely fresh coaching staff. Um, it's it's an opportunity to like get rid of those ghosts. And if there's a coaching staff that can do it, I really think we have one of the best uh, one of the best in the league right now with uh, with who we have. And I, I think that's that's a good thing to talk about. It does strike me that Bob D- Dice is probably one of the most popular guys in, in the room. So I like, want to run through a wall for him. Right. When he got <laughs> yeah. the job, I just got yeah. the sense that the team just, just loved that move and that they'd be able to really be behind him. And then adding a guy like Kahari Jones, it just seems like that would inject a lot of energy into this team and belief in themselves going into 2023. And once they get Mazzoli back on the field, and hey, Arbuckle's a capable guy too, there are bright things ahead because Sean Burke has made some pretty solid moves for for this team. Malden was one of those guys that came over from Hamilton. And Jalen Acklin. Yeah, exactly. Jackson Mm -hmm. Bennett, not as big of a star as the other two, but he brought key pieces um, from the Hamilton Tiger Cats that I think you're right. I think they just, they've got two in Kahari Jones and Bob Dice. They have two coaches who would also run through walls for them. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I think that resonates with the players. Like they, they, I'm not, I'm, not saying that other coaches of past didn't, you know, care about their guys, but there's, there's just like Paul Apolise and Rick Campbell never dance on the sidelines like Gahari Jones does. You yeah. know, like he, he just looks like he's having fun. Like he's out there with them. He was a player. He gets it. He understands. I think that makes a difference. Oh, and I actually look at the offensive line. Drew Desjardins. Drew Desjardins is exciting. Mm-hmm. He's that only 26. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the first overall pick, Dante Bull, 6'7", 326 pounds. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> they seem like a scrappy team that's going to beat people up in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. And we we never give enough credit to the O-linemen, of course, unless you're the yeah. quarterback who's uh, who's yeah. propped up by them. But when when we saw the Drew Desjardins signing, that was like, whoa, we mean we mean business. Like yeah. he's now, the, I think, the highest paid offensive lineman in the league and mm-hmm. for good reason. Uh, he's uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. I got one last one. It's not football related. Okay. <clears throat> I know the last couple of months you guys have run out. Yes. I need, I need to know because okay. I'm worried. I am very worried about how Sadie is settling into her new digs. She loves her new digs. Okay. She loves her new digs. I was going to fly out there and you're going to take her. her. You're going to bring her. She wasn't happy. Uh, where she was high, she was lying in a sunbeam a moment ago. She actually, she was living her best life, Ty. We sent her to a friend's house in Chelsea, Quebec, which is in the Gatineau's, like beautiful. And she lived there for six months, I think. And she had like a fireplace that she would curl up in front of. I think when we came and got her, she was like, no, I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. <laughs> to leave me in my country home. I don't I need to come yeah. back to the city. Yeah. <laughs> but she's settled in, so you don't have to rescue her. She's pretty happy now. <laughs> Just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> I know. And I appreciate Ty uh, because everybody asks about Fergus, but Ty always asks about Sadie. Everybody asks about the dogs. Like I know. I know. <laughs> you can count on tie for getting the hard-hitting questions right Right? i actually thought he was gonna look for reno tips and turn this into an hgtv episode (laughs) i'm done i got him (laughs) i'm more of a food network guy but uh well triple d oh i can this is getting carried away now Uh, it's like it's like a regular show (laughs) i I get myself too excited and i haven't eaten breakfast yet so Mm. Breakfast. Yes, Jeez. I realize we're recording this at six thirty. Oh, but Easter. it's gonna be. It's got it. Yeah. It's still only. It's still twenty after four here. <laughs> I, I'm awake for another uh, 13, 14 hours. Yeah, so that's also fair. My schedule's a mess. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking of schedules, uh, thank you for coming on the show this week. We are on the doorsteps of June, and by the time this comes out, it will be June. So, and more... we will be excited. Yes. <laughs> More Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast to come this season? Yes, yep. In one form or another, we will be back this season, uh, hopefully soon. That is good to hear. I would tell people to follow you on Twitter, but uh, the the wasteland that is Twitter is uh, not as fun anymore. So maybe people will see you at a TD place. It was really fun on uh, Monday night. (laughs) <laughs> on Monday night, what was oh Alberta right. election? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't, I didn't go near it. I didn't. Oh, I was it. on it all night. <laughs> and I don't even Good get a times. vote. <laughs> I didn't go near it. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming on the chat, Red Blacks, with us. It's my pleasure, guys. Have a good, uh, have a good. I was going to say weekend, but it's really not the weekend yet. So have a good rest of the week. We will. <laughs> it is my weekend. It is for you. Every have day a good is my golf, Saturday. Have a good golf game, Ty. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. You know better than anyone. It's been since 1999 since the Great Cup has been in the hammer, or I mean, won by the Tiger Cats. I have to say, if Great Cups were handed out in the off season. It would probably go to the Tiger Cats. We know there's a long season ahead, but it just feels like destiny. And it, I, I know you, you're probably not going to want to accept that and you're going to take it as it comes. But how are you feeling as the season gets underway right away? Well, I mean, I thought we were friends and you come in right away with the 1999 stuff. Uh, but no, no, I mean, it, it is what it is. Everyone knows that it's been almost a quarter of a century since this team has hoisted the Grey Cup. You look at the moves the team made in the offseason and obviously around the city with the fan base, expectations are high. You don't go and grab a future Hall of Famer like Bo Levi Mitchell and expect, oh, well, they'll go 10 and 8, and maybe they'll make some noise in the playoffs. No, everyone knows, and the players and the coaching staff and the front office all know this as well. It's essentially Grey Cup or bust. I, I, a couple years ago, Grey Cup was here. The Ticats are in that game, rematch with the Bombers. They performed much better than they, they did the, the previous Grey Cup, where they were the heavy favorites going in, but they still came out on the losing end. Getting the cup here, host, hosting it a second time in three years. Yeah, there is a little bit of a feeling of destiny with this team, but we all know that destiny can be short-lived, right? Like there, there's a lot of reason for optimism, but at the same time, if you're a Ticats fan, you know that you're most of the people who are who are fans now, like older fans can maybe remember the dynasty days of of the sixties, but most fans now are pretty starved for championship attention. You kind of know coming with the territory of being a Ticats fan, it's almost like being a Chicago Cubs fan, which I am also as well. <laughs> you just know that you just know that uh, at some point this team's going to rip your heart out, but that still has not stopped all the fans that like training camp's been going on. I've been down at McMaster watching this team pretty much every day. They they're getting some good turnouts Fans have come up to me almost to a to a person. Is this the year? Is this the year? Is this the year? It does certainly feel like this is the year. But like you said, there's a long season left to play. But let's get to the real games first before we start yeah. crowning anyone champions. Is what I'm going to say. Eight and ten last year. Uh, the the season started with four consecutive losses, but then it ended with four consecutive wins. The starting quarterback, Dane Evans, is now on the West Coast in BC. You mentioned Bo Levi Mitchell coming in. It, it feels like we could be here all day talking about the changes just from last offseason, but highlight some of the big additions to the Ticats roster coming into the season. Well, you're right about the – we could spend hours talking about the change they made. 12 of the 24 offensive and defensive starters that played that started the game, the East semifinal against the Alouettes, are no longer on this team. Wow. You mentioned Bo. I'm sure if we get into – we can get into Bo specifically later, but just some of the other ones because I think Bo has obviously, for obvious reasons, taken the headlines as, as the biggest acquisition. But they bring in a guy like Jameer Thurman, a teammate of, of Mitchell's in Calgary, who I think is somewhat of an underrated middle linebacker. He is replacing a very productive one in Jovan Santos-Knox, but I think that losing uh, 
Santos Max had a lot of tackles last year, but I don't necessarily know if he was an impact player. Whereas Jameer Thurman, if you look at his numbers, can create some turnovers. And that was kind of an issue with this team a year ago. One of the reasons they got off to such a poor start, you mentioned the 0 and 4 start. After Labor Day, they were three and nine and dead in the water. And then they go on a run to end the year to make the playoffs, but ultimately fall in the semifinal of the outlets. That's a big addition. Duke Williams is a is a massive addition. Um, I know you're a Riders fan, and his tenure in Saskatchewan wasn't exactly what you would have hoped it would have been. But from what I've seen from him in training camp, it's a if he was a problem with the Riders, he's done a complete 180. His teammates love him. He's out there making plays. It's it's not the Duke that I had heard about from previous stops. Even going back to his time in Edmonton and Buffalo, I'd heard he and and going back to his college team, he was kicked off his college team. You think okay, mm-hmm. and we saw some things publicly last year, knucklehead behavior. I'd, I'd like to call it to be kind. Doesn't look like that's the case with what I've seen from him here. So that could be a big addition to the team. And I think James Butler. I know that a lot of people and I'm. I don't want to call anyone out, but a lot of people question why the Tie Cats would spend big money to bring in a running back when they don't necessarily run the football, but Butler's a dynamic weapon. He's a guy that can not just run the football, but he also is great in the blocking game. And he's a su- exceptional pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, he'll be a great safety valve for Bo. I just think that let's give these guys, look, Butler in particular, from all the criticism that he's taken, let's give him, let's see what the team's going to do with him before we start killing him for bringing him in. And then I think maybe the most important addition that, is talked about, but maybe not talked about enough, is is bringing in a guy like Joel Figueroa to be that stalwart left tackle. Bo's only going to be as good as his, off, as his offensive line takes him, and Hamilton has had a revolving door at left tackle seemingly for a decade now. To get a guy like Figueroa, who was started his career with Hamilton, left to go to Edmonton and BC and became one of the league's best left tackles, to get him back even at substantial money I think was a worthwhile investment the the Ticats this offseason they made the big splashes with Bo and Duke but they also really buttressed both offensive and defensive lines and I think that's the key to winning in this league you win with your Canadians you win with a top flight quarterback but in football at every level you win with great play on along the offensive defensive lines and with what the Ticats are able to bring in this offseason I think they're going to be amongst the top units, both offensively and defensively at those positions. Up until last year, it kind of seemed like, well, last year, Dane was given the keys to the team. But the few years before that, it was a 1A, 1B situation. And I know Masoli had some injury problems as well. So they were forced to switch quarterbacks going back to those days. But now you have an undisputed franchise quarterback in Bo Levi Mitchell. There's really no debate there, though there was some debate last year, maybe regarding Bo's health. How has he looked uh, in Hamilton so far? How I mean, there's been question marks around the shoulder and things like that going back to Calgary last year, but how's he doing now? In a word, fantastic. It doesn't look like the arm's bugging him. I don't know if you were able to watch any of the preseason game. He didn't play much, but he wasn't afraid to chuck it deep. That has been what I've seen at training camp. He's been willing to go go deep with the ball. He's, he's made, just, just today, he made a phenomenal throw deep in the end zone to, I think, I think it was actually Duke Williams who, caught, who ended up catching the ball in a nice corner route. Again, it's training camp. It's early. He's he's had probably the most time off because he was benched last year yeah. in Calgary. To say there's, if, if anyone tells you there's no, they don't have any concerns with Bo, I think they're lying. Uh, tie, and I include Ty Cat fans in that. There's obvious concerns. He wouldn't have been traded from Calgary if the Stampeders thought 
he was still the guy that he was five years ago leading them to championships. You know what I mean? So those questions are there. But as a player who always, even when he was considered the best in the game, played with a massive chip on his shoulder, it's going to be even bigger this year. I just get the sense that physically he's as healthy as he's ever been, at least in, in this 30-plus age range. Like, obviously, when he was much younger and injuries were an issue and he started basically every game, there was no problem. But since the injuries started creeping up, kind of post-2018 Grey Cup championship for them, I feel like this is the healthiest he's been. But I also feel like his attitude and just the way he's approaching the game is, is in a way that he just won't allow himself to be denied sort of that opportunity to now, he said it himself in his introductory press conference, like the Calgary bow is gone. I want to make a new legacy here. And it reminds me in a lot of ways of Ricky Ray getting traded to Toronto, a guy who, mm. or even Henry Burris getting traded to Hamilton, a guy that the team's thought he's kind of done. And I know Ray had his injury issues with the Argos, but he comes in immediately, wins a great cup, wins another one five years later. Like, Burris came to Hamilton, had his best statistical season, got this team back to the Grey Cup for the first time in 15 years in 2013. Then he goes to Ottawa, wins another MOP, wins another championship, goes out on top in his, in his 40s. I get the same sort of sense from Bo coming here. He, he's a guy who is always confident. You see that all the time. But physically, as you asked, he doesn't look to be hindered at all. But it's it's the end of May, beginning of June. Let's see what Bo looks like in September, October, November. Let's see how the the body's holding up after he's been taken. Maybe he takes a few too many hits. You know what I mean? And on the in the Labor Day Classic, like it's everyone looks great now. I'm sure everyone you're talking to from every team is like everyone looks awesome. Yeah. Let's see yeah. how they look at the end of the season before we can really judge it. But from what I've seen, it doesn't look like he's hindered at all physically. From the outside looking in, I wonder if one of the biggest challenges for the Ticats this year is managing personalities. Um, Chris Edwards has a history with Ticat fans. <laughs> Does he ever? <laughs> Some recent history. You mentioned Duke Williams. I mean, I, I think fans around the league probably uh, give uh, Simone Lawrence a, a harder time than he probably deserves. But... It goes without saying, those are some big personalities, and they're all on the Ticats. I wonder if that's a bit of a challenge for them this year. Well, add Bo into that, too. I know he's a, he's a quieter guy, but he's someone who has spent his entire career. If you like him, you think he's confident. If you don't like him, you think he's cocky and arrogant. Yeah. There's some big personalities on this team. There's some combustible elements, and honestly, I get why people – who haven't been there. And I, this is the unique perspective that I can give you having been, I think they've had 16 training camp sessions and I think I've been to 13 of them, maybe, maybe even 14 of them. It's a unique perspective that maybe others can't give. I've seen them interact on the field. You normally, and we, we've heard these stories over the year from training camp, right? Where it, they're battling with each other, even though they're on the same team and fist fights happen. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen any sort of confrontation like that with Duke Williams, for instance, him and Lawrence. So Lawrence Woods, who last year was a, was a, a the return man has now taken over as the field side corner for the team. And him and Duke have been going back and forth with each other, like trash talking one another, but they're laughing as they're doing mm. it. Simone just today had an incredible interception of Bo Levi Mitchell. And I, I won't cuss on your show, but he came back and uh, after the interception, he was coming back and telling everyone on the offense, they can go after themselves. Um, there's like, there's competition and there, like you said, there are big personalities here. Don't get me wrong. 
but it seems as if the team is going as kind of bow goes and the leadership with the team from the coaching staff perspective, a lot more calm, a lot more reserved. Like you don't see Orlando Steinhauer get fight. He's not a Jason Moss type, right? Like you're not going to see him argue and fight with a Gatorade container. He's it's, but the players themselves, like I can understand because honestly, when the team announced all these signings, that was my initial reaction. like, how are these guys going to coexist? How are these, these are all alpha guys who are going to want to lead, but you can only have so many leaders at the same time, but having seen it firsthand and, and not really seen that. And I've been to a ton of Taikai training camps over the years, not, not as many as I've been, been able to get to this year, but throughout the years, I've seen enough where you go there and there's the offensive defensive linemen at some point will end up throwing hands. A couple of years ago, Delvin Burrow and Jalen Acklin got into it on like the second day of camp. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't really seen any, even like verbal altercations between players, including those guys you talk about. Like it's actually been kind of surprising that that doesn't happen because you normally see that stuff simply because they're hitting each other all the time. And at some point, you know, oh, a guy rolls up on one guy the wrong way or you know, an accident happens and, and you've been doing it for two and a half weeks and tempers flare. Haven't seen that, haven't really seen any of that stuff, but I completely understand your question and I completely understand why people outside of, of the Ticats bubble will continue to wonder if that will bubble over into something else. Because again, it's May, it's June, everyone's undefeated, every, it, they're back playing football, everything's great. I am curious to see how those guys react when, let's say they go on a three-game losing streak in August. Like, what happens then? That'll be the test of whether these guys have assimilated themselves into the quote-unquote Ticats culture or if they start to become the players we've seen in previous instances. The Chris Edwards thing, though, is interesting because I don't think his thing is, is with teammates. His is more is with the fact that he fist-fought some fans. Exactly. That's going to be an interesting thing. That's going to be an interesting thing to me to see how he's sort of received. But I think, honestly, over the year, Chad Owens was was public enemy number one. Yeah. He came to Hamilton and was, and was cheered. Like, Ticats guys have gone to Toronto and been cheered. The, the moves back and forth happen. Like the first time Chris Edwards takes a, takes an interception to the house, all will be forgiven. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, if this team, regardless of the makeup, regardless of where these guys came from, ultimately win a championship, they'll be minted for life as, as legends. So, I mean, right now it's like, and when the signing happened, I was like, oh, that's going to be awkward. But <laughs> as soon, as soon as Chris Edwards makes a big play in a game, especially if he does so against Toronto, like they play the Argos week two, in Toronto, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of Ticat fans there. As soon as something like that happens, it's not going to matter. Everyone's going to be, oh, he's a Ticat now. Forget what happened in the past. What kind of pressure would somebody like Orlando Steinauer or the rest of the front office be feeling in a season like this? I, I won't go so far as to say it's they either win the championship, get, get to the Grey Cup, or else they're all gone. But if this team underachieves in the same manner they did last year. Because let's let's remember, going into last season, they're the two-time defending East champs. They went 15-3 and three in the in the 2019 season. They go 8-6 and six in the shortened COVID year. But they made they twice made the Grey Cup. They bring back they brought back a whole lot of guys from that 2019-2021 teams in 2022. You mentioned they made Dane the guy. The vibes around the team and amongst people thinking, oh, this is the year they're going to they, they suffered those defeats, but they're going to be able to get over the hump. And then they start slowly, and they did pick it up at the end of the year, but it just wasn't enough to get them over the hump again. That team drastically underachieved to where if, – if go back and look at season previews from all the podcasts, all the CFL things. 
I'm sure a ton of people were thinking the Ticats were getting back to the cup and then they don't even win a playoff game. Yeah. I, I think that there's been enough, I won't say goodwill because that doesn't get you anything in pro sports, but I think the front office and like the Ticats leadership, like your Bob Young, your Scott Mitchells, guys like that. I don't think they they have an itchy trigger finger when it comes to now, if they go four and 14 Everyone's still, well, everyone's going to lose their job. But if this is a team like, let's say Bo does suffer an injury and they're forced to go with Matthew Schiltz for six games and they finish nine and nine, or maybe they make the East final. I don't necessarily think like it will be a failure. Don't get me wrong. And we'll call it out as such. I don't think the, the front office of the team will look at the coaching staff and go, you can't do it. There'll be reasons for now. If everyone stays healthy and they go eight and 10 again, maybe it would be time to make a change because if you make all these changes, you bring in all these big name guys and you don't get better. Well, we've turned over half the roster. The only other thing is the coaching staff. I don't necessarily see that happening. I think this team has the, has the potential to to finish with potentially the best record in the CFL this year. I just think the talent is there. It's all about staying healthy and especially with number 19, but Look, I can't. I, I don't know if it was your show or another show I went on in, in 2017, and someone was asked, "Well, what's what's Ken Austin's future like?" And I said, "Oh, he's perfectly fine." And then halfway through the season, he got canned. So I don't have the greatest track record of pulling these things of knowing what I'm what I'm talking about here. But at least from what I gather, I unless this thing completely falls off a cliff, I don't really think anyone is in is in jeopardy of losing their jobs. Before we go, I just want to talk about the defense uh, a little bit here. We saw the departures of uh, Micah Johnson. He's off to back to Saskatchewan, but still, Jagera Davis comes in, and now they've got Casey Sales at tackle. So, still one of the most most formidable tackle tandems in the league with Dylan Wynn and Casey Sales and Jameer Thurman coming in. Jamal Roll is gone. Is there an area on the defense or maybe anywhere on the team that may be an area of concern for you going into the year? Yeah, if there was, it's been delayed a little bit over camp in the first preseason game, but the, the biggest question mark for this team, you mentioned Jamal Roll, is his old position at boundary corner. It's the only spot really that's been an open competition. I thought the field side corner would be as well, but Lawrence Woods has locked that down since day one. He's been the starter with the A group since day one of camp, started the first preseason game. I imagine he'll start the second preseason game as well. But at, at a boundary corner, they've really gone with it, – it's kind of a two, two-man battle between Will Sunderland, who was with the team for a bit last year, played in one game, didn't really do a whole heck of a lot, and a newcomer by the name of Kenneth George Jr., he started the first preseason game. He played fairly well, he, and he's looked really well in camp. That's probably the only spot on the entire roster that's really up for grabs. Like, James, we know we won't go through the offense again, but everyone kind of knows who's who's going to be the guys there. On the defense, yeah. you mentioned some of the guys on the defensive line. It's, a, it's not only that. They brought in Kwaku Boateng, who – it can be a yeah. starter in this league. They, they re-signed Malik Carney, who I think – like, we all remember Lorenzo Malden last year – in Ottawa, he came from Hamilton, and I think Carney was re-upped simply because they saw that what they lost in Malden and didn't want to make the same mistake a second time. Uh, you mentioned Casey Sales. You mentioned Dylan Wynn. You mentioned Garrett Davis. Let's not forget Ted Laurent. And Ted Laurent is, looks to be in the best shape I've ever – he is – you're going to see him in the first week of the season. He does not look to be the same Ted Laurent. He has slimmed down considerably. Doesn't look to have lost any power, but has added some agility to his game. It was, I remember seeing him the first time. I was like, who's wearing Teddy's number 70, number 97. 
and I turned around and it was him. I was like, you got to be like, it's, it's a oh. noticeable improvement in his body shape. Yeah. It, and, and I've told everyone, and I've said, when they come to camera, like, look at Teddy, look at Teddy. It's been one of the things that I tried to point out to people. And they're all just kind of like, whoa, what's got, where, where'd the, where'd the belly go? Like he does the belly rubs in the sack. It's not going to be as big this year. But then you talk, <laughs> we talked about the linebacks a little bit with, <laughs> with Chris Edwards, Simone and, and Jameer, like, it's a very experienced group, a very veteran laden group. But if there is one area that could be of a concern, it is that boundary side cornerback spot. But I think given the talent around them in the secondary, they brought in a guy like JV and Elliott from Calgary, who has a lot of potential Tunde Delake, still one of the best safeties in the game. Richard Leonard's still here. And like Lawrence Woods is a newcomer at the wide side cornerback spot, but how often do we really see guys throw to the wide side, right? Like that's a, that's a, that's a killer ball for, for guys to have to throw that 65 yards across the field. You don't see it a ton. So it's really that boundary spot because that does get a lot of attention. But I think there's enough talent around whoever they decide to pick there, and I think it's going to be George to at least start the season, that I don't think it's a major concern. But if there was one area that I would tell people to keep an eye out for, if you're going to watch the preseason game um, and going into the regular season as well, that's the spot that I would I would kind of highlight as the one area where there's actually a true question mark as we head towards the season. Josh Smith from 3downnation.com and the Podski Wee Wee podcast. You're approaching 250 episodes of the show. We're hearing from you weekly all season long on 3downnation.com. Sure. Well, I can't believe 250. Like I remember when, when we started the show back in 2015, it was like, man, if we get a year out of this, and people actually care. That would be great. And then now we're going on 250 episodes. We've been doing it now almost a decade. And I think like all of our shows kind of sprung up around the same yeah. time, right? Like it was that 2015 sort of springtime. It's like, I think you guys started that year. We yep. did. I know Andrew and those guys in Edmonton started that year. I think the Piffles guys didn't come very far behind. It was just, it just seemed like that was the year that all the CFL podcasts kind of exploded. So it almost feels like we're this like tight look tight little tight knit group that all came of age at the same time. It's just crazy to think that it's been that long, but yeah, you'll hear from us on the show every week. You'll, you know, I'll be doing post game reports on three down nation on the tight heads games, like Twitter. Uh, you'll see comments all the time. So I'm, I'm not hard to find if you want to find my stuff. Yeah. People like me talking about uh, retirement already, but I, I guess t- <laughs> t- talking to uh, my pals in the podcast community kind of fired me up again for the season. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens in November. <laughs> yeah. Honest, honestly, it's the same thing. It's like every year when, when like it, it's, I mean, Mike and I don't really have a conversation, but it's always like, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep going. You get to that, you get to the end of the season, you're just like, I'm burnt out. Yeah, and then yeah. you're in the offseason, free agency, oh, you get perked up. Yeah. Oh, the draft, you get a little perked up. Oh, maybe they make a big move. Like this offseason, the tight had to make the big trade to get both. It's like, oh, that perked up a little bit. Then you hit the, you hit the downslope again, but then the season starts and you're good. And then you get about mid-season, you're just like, oh, can this, <laughs> like, even if it's going well, you're like, oh my God, another week? Like, it just feels like it never ends. And then you get to the end of the season. And like I said, you're happy that the season's over. Like before we recorded, I told you like, oh, the season's over. It's nice to get a break. But then you get, it's like the Godfather, right? Like you think you're out and they pull your right yeah. back in. So it, <laughs> you you say you say now that maybe there won't be another season, but I'll, I'll believe it when I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, honestly. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Josh. We'll see you in the hammer for the 110th Great Cup. Awesome. Always great to be on. Anytime you want me, just put out the bad signal. I'll be here for you, pal.
joining the show now to talk about the reigning Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts, going into 2023. It is Will from Argo Fans. It's good to see you, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Now, I got to ask you, something pretty special happened in the offseason. Of course, the Argos win the Grey Cup, and the Grey Cup paid you a visit at your house. You got to yep. tell us this story. So the Argos, uh, one of their uh, uh, one of their employees, it was his uh, allotted time with the Grey Cup. So what he decided to do was over, I think it was a two-week period, they chose 109 season ticket members and uh, drove around the GTA. Yep. Wow. And uh, I was lucky enough to be chosen as one of the members who got a visit from the Grey Cup. So... You know, they came to Argo employees, came by with the cup on a, uh, you know, it was a Tuesday morning. And, and I'm sure different people did different things with the cup. But, you know, we had it in my kitchen. We got to take pictures with it and everything. Got to, you know, look at all the names on the um, wow. the cup. And only thing I couldn't get my dog to, uh, my dog wouldn't go near it. Really? I think, <laughs> I think he was scared of his reflection in, in the in the um they polished her up for you <laughs> yeah but you know it was a great and it was a great initiative it was yeah. awesome to have that you know in your kitchen and uh well as they as the guy said when he left 110 trips next year man that is so so cool now the quest for the 110th gray cup is underway but big changes for the Toronto Argonauts, I guess, most notably at quarterback uh, with McLeod Bethel-Thompson going to the USFL in the offseason. It does look like Chad Kelly is going to be the man behind center to start the season. Not much CFL experience. I mean, he does look like he handled himself well in the big game in Regina last fall. But how are things looking at training camp under Chad Kelly with the Argos? Well, as you know, Chad Kelly didn't play in the first preseason game because of uh, some elbow soreness. We're told he's okay and will take some reps on Thursday at the home preseason game in Guelph against Ottawa. And, but, you know, I, I was there for a couple practices in their blue and white scrimmage and he's looked good. Oh, I mean, cool. he's, he, he, you know, at a practice, you know, he has a lot of zip on that ball. He is very accurate through, um, you know, a couple touchdowns in that scrimmage. Uh, the only day I saw him sort of struggle was the day where it was kind of rainy and damp. So that mm-hmm. day would have been for the defense. So Chad Kelly, you know, I, I'll concede it. It's, you know, we're wondering if he can replicate what he did over those last 10 minutes of the great cup over an 18 game season. But so much relies on him right now because there isn't a whole lot of depth behind him. Now he is surrounded by 
some players that have had great success in the CFL, including right next to him or behind him in the backfield in Andrew Harris, who is back for one more ride in the CFL. He didn't play much last year due to injury, but A.J. Olette comes in and he had a big gray cup punching the ball into the end zone. And they do have some talent in the backfield. Even uh, Daniel Adebaboye, uh, he was drafted last year and is another Canadian back there. If I remember last year, they weren't able to have much rushing touchdown success. I have to wonder if that is a focus for the Argos going into this season. Yeah, you have to think that they're that they're thinking on the, along those lines. I mean, both Harris and Willette were free agents headed into the offseason, and they both did. They brought, brought both of them back. Now they did play in the same backfield in the Grey Cup, yeah. but whether they will, you know, over the course of the season is is not known. But yes, I can definitely see them wanting to try to take some pressure off Kelly earlier in the season by uh, having Willett and Harris uh, split a run heavy uh, offense. They also have you know a guy like Javon Leak who. Established yeah. himself as a returner in the Grey Cup. You know, he's somebody who I kind of want them to just. I he's somebody I want the Argos to try to get in that offense a little bit more. I think he has some potential, and they also like this young man, Deonta McMahon, that they signed just before training camp. He looked pretty good in the preseason game, but he's only you know he's a five nine uh, running back, but. You know, shows good moves out there, so I think they like him as well. So yes, they they've definitely made running back a focal point, and you know it's the CFL, so you never quite know how run heavy they may go, but indications are they may try to go that way at least in the early going. Now, Brandon Banks was one of the big uh, additions to the team last year. And early in the season, it kind of looked like things were not clicking. And Mm -hmm. the team wasn't getting along at all. But it ended up coming together at exactly the right time, and they win the championship. Now, he's not there anymore, but there is some CFL veteran talent in the receiving core, uh, namely Curly Gittens Jr. He's only 25 years old, so... His best days could still be ahead of him in in the CFL. What are some other receivers we should be looking forward to seeing more of in 2023? Yeah, so we the Argos brought both Devaris Daniels and Marquise Ambles back. I'm not sure at this point if, if either of those guys are 1,000-yard receivers. They seem to have hit a ceiling at around 800, 900 yards. Uh, some of the other names, uh, Cam Phillips, who was a starting receiver for most of last year, got hurt, and he showed some flashes uh, here and there and had a good Grey Cup game, actually. I think he led the team in receiving. He's somebody I'd like to see take sort of that next step as as, a, as an American receiver. And the fifth guy in that receiving core is actually an interesting there's a, there is a bit of a battle for that going on. Mm. They may go Canadian with Dejan Brissett and Tommy Neal, alternate those guys in there, or they have, um, so I'm going to butcher his name, um, 
I know it's like, I can't remember his first name, but Coxie. Oh, Coxie. Oh, yeah. DeMonte Coxie. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he played a little bit, uh, got hurt, unfortunately, but he also looked pretty good mm. in limited action. And uh, there were a few guys at the game on Saturday, uh, BJ Bird or Ray J. Johnson, who caught a couple touchdown passes, uh, albeit against Hamilton's depth guys. So those guys could be factors heading into the season as well. Uh, last year, I think as the season came on, and especially in the Grey Cup, that front on the defense was all over Zach Kalaris and all over the Bombers. And they can be all over teams, period, throughout the year. It seems like a fierce front. The the signing of Arimalade coming over from Calgary. Sean Oakman remaining there. Robbie Smith had a roller coaster of a fourth quarter in the Grey Cup. And I I just look at uh, the linebackers with Enoch Mwamba staying uh, and, and playing more with the Argos. Winton McMahon is still there. And the trade for Jordan Williams over from BC, the, that front of the defense seems like it's still going to be fierce going into this year. Oh, yeah, it should be. I mean, don't forget Dwayne Hendricks on that defensive line. Him and Oakman form a pretty good duo in the middle. And they could also throw you know, Canadian Sam Achiampong at you as well. Yeah. And... Um, and Robbie Smith, I hope they really give him the opportunity to take that next step with, you know, or Milade, uh, hopefully commanding so much attention on the other side. You know, Smith will have the opportunity to get to the quarterback more. Don't forget uh, Keith or Keith Costigan, too. Uh, they signed him from Edmonton, I believe, and he has a motor as well. So that depth on the front four, yes, is definitely uh great and you know i'd love to get an arco defensive end or defensive lineman get more than 10 sacks because i don't think that's happened in a couple of years wow. and i mean that line core wow i mean they signed a darius pickett as well from montreal they send back you know winton mcmanus who was one of the best defensive players in the east until he got hurt he knocked Mwamba, his mvp performance in the gray cup speaks for itself and Darius Pickett, he's you know he's new to the Argos, but you know in Montreal, everything you know he's every, all indications in Montreal he was a great Sam linebacker. And Jordan Williams, you know they gave up a first round draft pick for him, sure, but you know they picked up a guy first overall who a good um, Canadian and is going to be a good succession plan when it comes to Muamba, you know a couple down the year years down the road when he retires, you get to replace a Canadian with a Canadian. So they're setting themselves up for the future and um, kind of makes me wonder if they're going to try and run a bit of a 3-4 on it sometimes with those four linebackers there. Now, the... We, we talked about the quarterback. Is, Is there any other maybe question marks you have on the roster going into the year? Sure. Yeah, I, the boundary side of that secondary, uh, Jamal Peters signed with the Falcons in yeah. the offseason. And the um, Shaq Richardson also didn't resign. Right. And he was the boundary halfback. So that's your half, your, your you know, two fifths of your secondary there. The other three guys are back. 
and what I think they're they're they had this guy Maurice Carnell the fourth come in midway through the season last year and you know picked off a bunch of I think he got four or five interceptions in place of Shaq Richardson when Richardson was injured. Now Carnell had a knee injury late in the season last year, which he's not yet recovered from. So he's going to be out of the lineup for a few weeks. And what I think the Argos are looking at doing is having Robert Priester play that boundary corner. He was on the team last year, kind of played everywhere. And Robertson Daniel, who they acquired from Calgary in that trade a few years ago, play that halfback spot. The uh, problem I I might envision is Robertson Daniel has been injured both years in Toronto. He's played you know one or two games each year and hasn't been able to stay healthy. Priester got a bit nicked up in the preseason game against Hamilton. I think he's okay, but there's no you know confirmation on that. So it would be curious to see those guys, whether or not they, you know, carry it over to actual game experience versus just, you know, in practice and things like that. So, yeah, if there was one area, I did have a bit of concern. It was the secondary. And, again, I kind of want – I don't think it's like the 90s anymore where CFL teams are putting out two, three, four thousand-yard receivers – it's not quite there anymore, but I yeah. would like one of those Americans to get above that a thousand mark with Curly. Right. Yeah. That 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 would be uh, big for the offense. Big for uh, Chad Kelly, obviously, to have uh, that success with the offense. I, I do need to ask you uh, the one hundred and fiftieth. Uh, anniversary of the Argos this year. They've unveiled new uniforms. They look pretty slick. Uh, what's the energy uh, of the Argos fan base and the uh, atmosphere around the team going into the season? I mean, after a championship, that always helps, but you need yep. to sustain that, right? And uh, so this feels like a two years in a row, first in the East. It, it does feel like a big year yeah. uh, for the Argos to you know, uh, establish some consistency. Oh, it is It is a big year. I mean, one of the things they can do in Toronto, you know, if MLSC is not going to spend on the marketing side of things, is try and win and see if that doesn't increase attendance at all. You know, I, the response to the jerseys has been pretty positive. I like the, you know, I, I had a few trepidations at first, but the Argos put out a tweet last week as well, sort of explaining the various features of it, mm. which I think really helped to, uh, you know, put me on side. And when I saw them on Saturday, they they looked great. And the 150th, yeah, I mean, uh, I was at a fortunate to be at a press conference last Friday where they detailed all of this. And, you know, they're going to add Damon Allen and uh, Daryl Mitchell to the all-time Argo banner. They're going to count down, you know, the 150th greatest moments in Argos history throughout the season, and you know, hopefully, a lot more. So I think, you know, the, the positivity amongst the fan base should be great right now. It's just a question of getting the rest of Toronto to notice. Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, hey, you're a bit of a historian yourself, so I, yeah. I think just personally for you, the 150th anniversary is pretty cool. Yeah, they've had a they had you know a committee of five people going through the Argos history to count down those 150th moments, and looking forward to seeing what they you know came up with. Oh, that's. That's cool. I, I, I think the energy out of there is cool. And I think Chad Kelly, he's a big personality. I think he's kind of a yeah. marketable guy. And yeah. if he can have some success right off the bat, uh, that'll be big. That'll be big yeah. for the Argos. You know what? My understanding is he stayed. He, he maintained a presence in Toronto during the offseason. Wow. You know, he... Uh, you know, on Saturday when he didn't play, he was still trying to fire up the players, you know, when they were down in the first half there. And, yeah, I think that they really, you know, he did some work with the MLSC Launchpad, which was one of their you know, charitable endeavors last year. So, yeah, he, he's, he's – they are – I mean, I think he knocked one, but was the face of the fran- – is still sort of the face of the franchise – that you that know, great yeah. cup and his reaction, yeah. I, I that feel, like how do you not love that? I, I don't oh, care I who you are. It, it was amazing. It was amazing. But it became a running joke during the off season. Oh, he knocks up the cup again. <laughs> I don't but, know if he still believes what happened that night well, in Regina. But but still, you know what? Chad <laughs> Kelly's not far behind in there. You know, Henock, it was Henock, AJ, and Chad Kelly who were pictured with the new uniforms. Right. Yep, right. So that tells you right there. That's awesome. Yep. Will uh, is from the Argos fan cast. Are you remaining yep. with new episodes uh, all season long? Yep. So now that the season, you know, the off season is over, we're back to weekly shows. So we usually record on uh, Tuesday nights with the show being released, uh, you know, a few days later. And, you know, we basically we recap the game of the, you know, we do a good, bad and the ugly of the game before. Look at some league news, do our, you know, our fantasy picks, which we're all terrible at. <laughs> I think everyone I is. <laughs> I just can't. Since it, it used to be. Like a couple of years ago, they changed it. I think it was originally, it was like sort of a more TSN thing. It was. And, and, yeah, then, it, yeah. and then it became a league thing. I used yeah. to be much better at the TSN version of it. I than, was always like in the top, like near the top on TSN. And yeah. Now I. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just can't. <laughs> like you'd think. And I don't, I'm not disparaging the CFL. In nine teams, you'd be able to figure out who's going to get the ball every week. But with five receivers in any offense, it just mm. it changes all the time. And it's more challenging than maybe a fantasy player would think. So it's worth giving it a shot. And uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to have some Argos in my lineup anyway. Uh, Curly Gittins Jr., though, he gets expensive really fast. So he does. <laughs> we'll have to find somebody else to pick and, from and, the Argos. And, and the only knock on Curly fantasy-wise is he – I don't think he got as many touchdowns, mm. catch the ball as some of the other guys. But what, you're, what you sacrifice there is the yardage. You know, Marky yeah. Thambles led the team in receiving touchdowns last year, but, you know, 700, 800 yards. Yeah. But that's also – I mean – as we said, met, touched on earlier, you're not seeing three or four guys a team get 
you know, thousand yards receiving anymore. You know, yeah. quarterbacks aren't throwing for five thousand yards as much anymore. So it, it, it's it's I guess it's a bit of adjustment for all of us playing We're- CFL fantasy. Well, Will, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Enjoy no the problem. season on the Argos fan cast. And we got to get some more season ticket holders because if they win the Grey Cup again, 110 visits, yeah. that is the opportunity, I think, of a lifetime for any CFL fan. I love that they did that. And it's cool yeah. that they saw you. And hey, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you to our guests for coming on the show this week to talk about the East Division. Josh, Janine, Will, and Cliffy uh, getting us ready for the four East Division teams in 2023. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher on YouTube. You can like and comment on there. And take a drink, the Patreon as well, where uh, on our touchdown tier, you will get episodes earlier than anyone else because you deserve it. Don't you ever forget that. Nobody who listens to any of these episodes deserves much. (laughs) We'll be back soon. Well, I I should preface that. My mom does listen, so all she's getting is a disappointment. (laughs) Again. We'll be back with the West Division preview to get you ready for that side of the CFL as well. Travis Curra, Brazilian Ty, we'll talk to you soon on Two and Out. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 